0: Sometimes you choose courage, and at other times it's forced upon you. Courage Unraveled is a podcast series where you get to listen to insights, discussions, conversations, and stories from people from all walks of life. You'll be served with dollops of courage, resilience, and strength here. So come along and be educated and inspired. You just may find new ways to flex your own courage muscle. My name is Sana Turnock, and I'm your host. Yana Cedar is a driven and resilient woman and has received many accolades. Her most recent one is the OAM, Order of Australia. She has held numerous leadership, board and senior management roles and has been to the United Nations to advocate for equality and social justice for Indigenous affairs. In this episode, we explore how Yana walks in two worlds, what glass ceilings she is determined to break and why resilience and courage... so important in her life and for anyone who wants to grow and transform as a human being. Come and join me as I have a conversation with Yana Seder. It's a real privilege to be able to share these inspiring podcasts of courage with you. The work undertaken takes many hours to put together and is self-funded. Become a Courage Unraveled patron on Patreon and not only will you be supporting the podcast, you will also be helping yourself by investing in your own courage. Get access to pre-release episodes and patron-only specials. It's easy being a patron and the first tiers are less than two coffees per month. Cultivate and flex your courage muscle by signing up for a one-to-one Grow Into My Courage program and grab your very own journal. You grow your courage muscle by activating it. Listen to the podcasts, grab yourself the courage journal, sign up to the Grow Into My Courage program and become a patron. After this episode, head over to courageunraveled.com. It's all happening there. Grow into your courage today. Hello, Jana, and welcome to Courage Unraveled. I'm seriously so looking forward to our conversation today. I want to start off by saying that you actually have a really impressive resume. And for the people that don't know about you, I am going to give them a sense of who you are. For the past 18 years, you've worked in leadership and senior management positions in Western Australia and the United Nations advocating for equality and social justice in Aboriginal affairs. So would it be fair to say that this is your life's work? Yes, I'd say so. It's it's my life passion. Through your efforts in this area, as well as your tenacity, your resilience and continued drive in this area, you have been recognised numerous times. So that people have an understanding of what that means. It means that you were the youngest person elected into Western Australia's International Women's Day Hall of Fame in 2012. You were a 40 under 40 business winner and a Telstra Business Women's Award winner in the era of purpose and social enterprise in 2017. And then in 2020, you received a Medal of the Order of Australia, an OAM. You also have an MBA in business administration. You've run your own business. You've served as an executive officer and executive director and have represented a number of boards. You now serve as a director of IPS management consultants. Okay, now I can take a deep breath. (laughs) Where does that drive actually come from?
1: I was raised in a strong matriarchal family. And I say that because that's where my Aboriginality comes from is, is on my mother's side. My grandmother actually was in the air somewhere over Alaska when I was born, representing Indigenous Australia and uh, doing some strong advocacy over there. So I guess growing up and seeing the strength of my grandmother and how hard she fought, but also seeing the disadvantage of my community that I grew up in, it was kind of an intrinsic motivation to want to make a difference and what better platform than to assist those that either don't have a voice or are less fortunate in in their ability to be able to look for equality. It's an internal passion and it's what drives me. It's what motivates me with everything that I
0: do. So you talk about disadvantage. What was that like for you growing up?
1: Not so much for me personally. I I was quite blessed in where I grew up. It's more what I saw within my community of Port Hedland and I saw a lot of homelessness. I saw a lot of poverty, domestic violence within the community, huge unemployment rates within the Aboriginal community and also a lack of education. And so I remember I think I was seven and we were getting up early and and going with my grandmother, cooking meals and delivering it to to Aboriginal people within the community before we go to school. And it was a really tough time. I mean, personally, I've had challenges and and things that have come against me, but not as hard as I've seen other people. I'm quite blessed with the life that I've had. Mm, I guess all
0: of that observation from an early age, I can imagine that's just built up this framework of passion for community, I imagine.
1: It has. I mean, I've obviously got extended family members that have been impacted by a lot of trauma and and dealing with some of that generational trauma and and poverty and crime and things like that. So really it's working and knowing that there are other options available, it's more about how they can get a voice and an advocate and a champion to assist the opportunities and doorways to open. Moving in a
0: slightly different direction now, you have described yourself as walking in two worlds. What does that mean and look like for you?
1: It's really difficult to define. So walking in two worlds, I live quite a Western life. I acknowledge that I have a non-Indigenous father, but I also acknowledge my Aboriginality through my mother and I'm proud of my identity as a a Neobarly traditional owner from the Pilbara. So walking in two worlds is how do I balance my Western lifestyle with my cultural protocols and responsibilities, particularly when they clash. So when I train, I talk about the cultural versus corporate governance aspect and how do we manage uh, corporate governance and legislative requirements as directors versus cultural governance within our own kinship cycles within community. So for me, it's how do I day-to-day manage living in a Western lifestyle when I also know and live and breathe my cultural responsibilities through communication protocols with family members, what I do when I do go back on country and for ceremonial purposes, and how do I carry myself when there are times when there is conflict in that space? Do you feel like you
0: have to prove yourself in either of these worlds in any way?
1: Every minute of every day. In in some ways, it's probably the first time I've ever verbally said it. So I'm loving the grow into your courage because I'm getting courageous just in the discussion. <laughs> but it's almost like I don't fit in either world. I remember reading a book by Anita Heiss, Am I Black Enough for You? And within the Western context, I I identify as an Aboriginal person. So whilst I live quite a privileged life and I understand I'm highly educated, I still don't feel like I'm fully accepted because I am Aboriginal. But then in the Aboriginal world, sometimes lateral violence pulls me down, the whole tall poppy syndrome. And then I sometimes second guess myself, well, I don't have a stereotypical, if there is such Appearance, I may not live the lifestyle that people would assume an Aboriginal person would live and therefore I don't fit within that box either. So it, it does cause sometimes an identity crisis within,
0: but I just try not to show it on the on the outside. It's funny, I can really relate to that, you know, my father was Macedonian and my mother was Macedonian, but I was born in Australia. And it was all Australian at school, but then I'd go home and it would have to be Macedonian. So almost I'd be taking one hat off and putting another one on. For you, was there turmoil or were you able to put those hats on at different times quite easily and take them off?
1: I learned to through a lot of adversity and building of resilience. It wasn't easy to start with and I constantly second-guessed myself and I was a people pleaser and I found that I was struggling to please everybody that I was surrounding myself with, but even in particular myself. And so I was constantly striving to be better, not so much for recognition, but I just constantly had that imposter syndrome like I wasn't good enough in that space. Whereas now I find I can actually code switch and go between my Western and cultural being and way of life and quite easily move and I've had to build the resilience to actually it sounds somewhat selfish but not care what other people think because if I do then I can't be my authentic self
0: absolutely since the birth of your children you have committed yourself to breaking through glass ceilings why were your children the driving force behind making that decision I want my children to know that they can be whatever they want to be and
1: that they shouldn't be limited by what society puts on them and and the perspectives of other people. And I don't want them to be what I want them to be. It's, It's about them as individuals striving for their own aspirations. And I guess in a way show that I too can do that. I was the first female and first traditional owner to take the executive officer role at Gumala. And that showed that It can be done no one thought that there would ever be a female leader of the business and particularly in the circumstances in which it all occurred it was to show my children I can't ask my children to think big if I can't actually show them that I'm willing to do the same myself
0: sure and what what was Gumala for the listeners
1: Um, So Gumala is an Aboriginal corporation that derives revenue from iron ore mining royalties through Rio Tinto. And it looks after three language groups within the Pilbara and has a membership base of over three and a half thousand people. When I took leadership of Gumala, it was at a time where we had lost 80% of our revenue because of the economic mining downturn. And so my job really was a challenge in, well, where do we diversify our income sources in order to stay solvent? And how can we ensure that we deliver consistent programs through to our beneficiaries. It was an extremely challenging situation, particularly because it was my first executive level job. Mm, That sounds like that was a big task. What did you end up doing? It was about organisational restructures, looking at diversifying income sources so we weren't solely reliant upon the one income source, moving our budgeting from the forecast figures into arrears so that we're using actual figures so that we couldn't be budgeting for more money than we were actually receiving, changing the way in which benefits were delivered to members. So it wasn't the short-term band-aid type of membership programs, but more about how can we build long-term economic sustainability within that space. It took a, a good two or three years to bring about change and it's an extremely successful business today and something that I'm proud of being a part of that journey.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. When you talk about breaking through the glass ceiling as you did earlier, are you actually referring to gender, to culture, being Indigenous, or to all of them?
1: All of the above. A lot of my international advocacy work has been done in the... Gender and Indigenous space. So it's about bringing about the equal rights, not just for Aboriginal people in, in relation to closing the gap and those type of targets, but even more so with women. I mean, there's not enough women, not just at leadership roles within businesses, but in boardrooms. If you were to Google you know, an Australian based tier one construction business and look at their board, you would really struggle to try and identify women in that space. And I think gender diversity, but also equal pay equal rights, the gender pay gap is through the roof and it's going to take a ridiculous amount of time for it to be on par. So, you know, that breaking the ceiling, breaking through the ceiling was I've got a daughter and I want her to know that being female, being Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander shouldn't be seen as a a limitation or a restriction to her career growth. For sure.
0: When you were with Gumala, were you one of how many females in a particular boardroom meeting? Can you recall that?
1: So that was a while ago. Traditionally, when we look from where I'm from, it's men that speak for culture. Women have a role to play, but when it comes to to the leadership element, it's definitely our men. I was actually on the board as a director before I became the executive officer. So I was an executive director while we recruited and then ultimately the EO itself. And at that time, it was a majority men. I believe there may have been probably four women. But when I left, it had done a complete 360 through no work of my own, to be honest. But I left and I think there were only two men on a board of 12. Massive shift. And something that I'm extremely proud of because women found their voice. And one thing that I say when I give keynote speeches is that women may lack confidence, but they don't lack the competence. And so it's about how can we empower and build up confidence within women to step up into spaces that are there for them. Absolutely.
0: And certainly through me interviewing people on this podcast, gosh, I'm meeting some amazing women, men too, but just amazing women who do phenomenal things in the world. And it's only by telling these stories that you get to find out about them in some cases, you know?
1: Absolutely. And it's great that people are willing to share stories because not only can it prevent people possibly making some mistakes themselves, but by showing their vulnerability, you don't understand the type of influence and impact you can have in inspiring other people.
0: Absolutely. You have had many successes and and the way you describe it is that you've described your journey as being one of achievement, but also heartbreaking losses, abuses and failure. Are you able to provide some situations so we get a sense of what that has looked like for you?
1: Yeah, I lost my dad when I was 11 years of age to alcoholism. That just left my grandmother on my dad's side. And so I, w- I spent a lot of time with her. I also lost her in my arms a month before my 21st birthday. And that really has a huge impact On my family. I mean, my parents had separated from a very young age. And so I did have a stepfather. So I had a father figure within my life, but you know, it doesn't take away your biological connection that I had with my father. So that that was quite challenging. I also was raised in an extremely strict household. And whilst I don't agree with some of the ways in which I was raised, I can now reflect and appreciate why my parents raised me in certain ways. As a parent myself, I can see that it was with the best of intent. And unfortunately, when you have children, it doesn't come with a manual and tell you how to be a parent. And particularly if parents themselves are dealing with their own traumas of what may have happened to them in their own histories. So we just try our very best. And, and I can appreciate that now. But at the time, it was really difficult. When I talk about abuses, I mean some of the verbal and threats that I received during my time in Gumala. I mean, getting told that I'm not safe walking outside of my front door because we're going to bash your head in, i wait till I see your children in the shop, we're going to bash your children, because I was acting on board instruction to complete an investigation, a forensic investigation into the business. And so I guess that ruffled some people that were afraid of what could have been found out throughout that process, and I seem to have been the target. And and still to this day, you know, that was almost 10 years ago, and still to this day, I cop a lot of abuse verbally when I'm going to some meetings. I did have a breakdown as part of it when it was occurring, but, you know, like a phoenix, you you rise and you build strength through the resilience that you learn throughout that process. I mean, if you were to ask me would I do it again, 100% I would do it again because of who it made me be today and and what I learned about myself Mm. today. So there's been those challenges. I mean, there's been many, many more challenges as well, but they were probably the big, big influences in changing who I am as a person. That's pretty intense, isn't
0: it? It's very intense. How long were you in this environment for? Was it for two or three years? Because you you have brought that up a few times in the conversation or was it longer than that? Oh, no. I mean, like, although
1: I've left the business, there's still simmering tensions when I'm going to meetings
0: today. Okay. So that's like 10 years after. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long time. Hmm. Do you think that there was ever a time where it could have broken you and you walked away from all that you've given so far to your life's work?
1: Yep. Yeah. At my lowest, there was like Mm. contemplating suicide. I, I can't do it anymore. My children would be better off without me. The depression was so bad because of what was going on. And I didn't want to bring a lot of that stress and pressure to home. So whilst I was copying it at work all day long, I'd come home and pretend that everything was fine and not have an outlet or allow myself to have a support system. And honestly, by some miracle, I had the strength to keep going. Uh, I honestly don't know what it was, but there was just this change where I went, no, enough, enough. I won't stand for that anymore. I will not allow people to treat me like that anymore. And so I think in making a stand, and while people make their smart remarks now, it's not as intense and as threatening as it was and abusive as it was in the past. Now it's just these one-off smart remarks which I think speaks more for them and about their character than it does about me anyway. One of one of the things that I live with as a result of what I went through is I now have severe anxiety and a lot of people don't know that because they can see me working or see me giving a, a keynote speech and and think that I'm fine but I actually take medication for my anxiety as a result of what has occurred. So it's it's almost like post-traumatic stress in a way There I can't handle certain situations because of what has happened.
0: That sounds like a very intense time. How could you separate the two? I mean, that takes a lot of effort. You'd cop the flack at work and then you would almost like cut yourself off from, from that part of the day and then you'd come home and you'd be someone else. That, has its, that takes its toll, doesn't it? You know you experienced it.
1: It does. And like I said, I wish I can tell you what the magic moment was where I said, no, I, I need to change this. But, yeah, it was like I woke up one day with a completely different mindset and said, I'm changing what's occurring. I can't change other people, but I can change who I am and how I react to other people's behaviours, and that's where I drew my strength. This is what I'm going to focus on now. I'm not going to focus on reacting to the negative side of what people have to say, and I believe that what I do will speak for my own character and I'm not going to allow other people's words to speak against my
0: reputation absolutely you brought up the anxiety and I guess it manifests in certain environments are you okay to facilitate and to make presentations it doesn't manifest in those situations but you just control it better these days I
1: still actually do struggle with very noisy environments or very crowded environments when I work I like to work in complete silence but my medication allows me to handle the situation where I don't actually have panic attacks and it, it makes me really calm. And so I, I virtually live a normal life. I'm not impacted by my anxiety unless I miss my medication. And then all of a sudden I can tell because I'm, I'm being triggered quite easily, but I've learned how to deal
0: with the situation. So it's good. That is good. You've spoken about a support system. What does that look like for you? It's changed over time. I've started
1: to allow people in. i was extremely guarded with emotions. I don't like to talk about emotions and had big barriers around myself and wouldn't speak to my experiences and how I felt. But I've got to a place now where my mum and and my husband, I can bear my heart and soul and feel safe enough to do so. But I I also am quite strong in faith. And that's something that has grown throughout this period as well. And so I'll spend time in my Bible or reading books and just having some quiet reflection time. So, you know, I found ways that I feel supported and can gain strength. Hmm. Thank you.
0: You've said that your mother, Lisa Dershaw, is someone that you admire. I hope I've said her surname correctly. Perfect. Brilliant. So you admire her and you're influenced by her because of her courage.
1: How did she influence you in that way? My mum is a pocket rocket. We call her our tiny bulldog because she is so small, but she's got a bite on her. She's amazing. My mum had a a very rough childhood herself, and that's not for me to disclose. But noting that she had had such a rough childhood herself, she married my dad quite young. My dad was a lot older than her, and his alcoholism was was a huge issue. She had me quite young. She was 19 when she had me, and her and my dad divorced not long after. But, you know, she raised me as a single mother until she met my stepfather, And even from that process, I mean, she's still the backbone of our family. I've seen her constantly have adversities in front of her and she just tackles them like like a giant, like you know, she might only just be five foot nothing, but she tackles them like she's seven or eight foot and nothing is going to stop her. She's courageous and brave and she has a lot of the the attributes that I wish I could have in myself when I see how she is so courageous to speak out on things. She's a lot more assertive than I am, where I'm a lot more quiet and, and guard. She's a lot more extroverted. So yeah, she's awesome. She's nearly 60 and yet she walks around lifting tyres and throwing furniture around like she's 21.
0: World well, good on her. Well, there's certainly something's rubbed off. I mean, here you are, you know, you're presenting and you're travelling or well, you did travel for a lot of your work presenting and, and, and advocating. So certainly she has influenced you in that way. You describe her as having authentic leadership and selflessness. Could you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, with my mum, what you see is what you get. She won't try and be anything that she's not and she doesn't care about the circumstances, or situation that surrounds her. She's extremely genuine in that she stands strong in who she is because she knows who she is. And when I talk about her ability to inspire other people without, without even knowing it, she always puts other people first. My mum lives and breathes for her family. She's got three children and many grandchildren now. And everything that she does, she does for her family before herself. The most selfless person
0: that I know. Does she live nearby? Literally four houses away. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. So you can catch up on a regular basis. That's really good. I like that a lot. Why did you want to share your story? This was a challenge to myself.
1: So a lot of what I've shared today, I've not shared before. And again, it's because I don't allow myself to be vulnerable and I don't allow myself to get into my own head and I don't like sharing feelings. So when you approached me, I thought this is something I need to challenge myself with. It's something that I find uncomfortable, hence why I'm like fiddling with my hands nonstop. Without sharing my story, I could be preventing someone who may need to hear something that I've said from taking a step of faith. You can fall down seven times, but it's getting up eight times. It's about continually trying, taking risks and getting back towards what your life purpose is. And so it was just that chance to do something different and and risk being vulnerable. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I share my story and I can hopefully help somebody or inspire somebody.
0: Mm, That's right. There is no negative about doing what you're doing. It's just really positive. And you're doing really well so far. (laughs) Good on you. You have mentioned that resilience has been a major part of wanting to share your story. So
1: many people give up when they fail. We would never have innovation in this world if we don't ever take a risk. And so we need to try things and we need to fail because failure allows continual improvement to occur. So resilience to me is an extremely important part of anybody's character. And it just shows that people are willing to be open to change and open to improvements because nobody is perfect at everything. And so to me... I applaud people that take a risk, obviously a risk that they've completely done the research about prior to taking that risk, because it just shows that they are willing to to
0: try something new and to learn something new about themselves. Yeah, and ultimately grow from the experience, like what you'll be doing today. You know, you're, you're going to be growing from this just by opening yourself up. So thank you for continually doing that. Could you define courage for me?
1: Courage is about someone that is fearless, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it may be, but that they've got the bravery to step out and be a lone sheep, that they don't have to follow other people. And to me, courage is also standing up and not being an enabler or accepting behavior from other people that you wouldn't accept of yourself because as the saying goes, the behavior you're willing to walk past is the behavior you're willing to accept. So courage is about stepping out into doing something new and showing people how you expect
0: to be treated. Absolutely. The question that I'll ask you now is, are you courageous? And I can answer that question because you're demonstrating right now that you are by putting yourself in that uncomfortable position by sharing your story on this podcast. How do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, it's awkward. I don't like as I've said, talking about myself or my achievements, but it's courageous to, to be challenging myself to do this, knowing how uncomfortable it is. But also,
0: though, you've spoken a little bit about your work history and a little bit about, you know, what happened in the past and, and what you've learnt from that. So resilience and growth come from that. And that stems from, you know, being uncomfortable. It, it stems from moving through your fear. It stems from basically stepping up in your courage. So You've proven that, you know, through your whole, really, your whole career.
1: You can't really learn anything from staying in a safe zone. You need to step out into the learning zone. Absolutely.
0: I have one final question for you, Jana, and it revolves around this. It takes courage to live your best life and to follow your own path, as it means disappointing people at times and possibly sacrifice, as you know. Are you walking your own path?
1: Now I can say yes. I've got great work-life balance. I'm doing what I love. I actually put a quote on Facebook the other day, is it really work if we get up and do what we love every day? And,
0: that, and that's what I'm living, so, yep. Fantastic. Yana, thank you so much for being on Courage and Rebelled. I have loved spending the last half an hour with you. You that's stay cool. courageous. Thank you so much. Yana is a role model for grit, determination, resilience and courage on so many levels. She identified how breaking several glass ceilings has been at a cost to her mental and emotional health, but she continues to push so that she can be a positive role model for her family. She opened up and shared her story for the first time and owned up to being vulnerable. She also shared moments in her career where challenges were so severe they almost pushed her to breaking point, but she made it through with determination and mindset. Now that's fierce. If you'd like to make contact with Yana Seder, visit courageunraveled.com forward slash podcasts and her details are in the show notes. I'm so grateful for my current patrons who support the program on the Patreon platform. If you'd like to learn more about how to support Courage Unraveled and receive benefits, visit courageunraveled.com forward slash podcasts. Thank you so much for listening wherever you are. A big hello to the listeners in Ireland. If you like what you hear, please leave a Google review or a review on your favourite podcast channel. This one comes from Carly in the United States. Sana and her podcast are a true berry gem in this world full of voices. She's uncovering stories that must be told and need to be heard. Hers is a voice I want to go for a run, drive in my car and lay in bed at night. Bless you, Carly. My name is Sana Turnock and I'm your host.